I'm Paul Higgins, an ex-corporate executive turned business owner who for five years struggled to grow a cloud consulting business whilst battling a chronic disease. With the help of mentors and experts, I got the business model right, built a sales and marketing engine and developed a high-performing team that ended in a successful exit. I received a kidney transplant from a mate and now on my second life, I dedicate my time to helping other cloud consultants scale quickly with less effort to enjoy life. Detecting an accent, I'm an Aussie working globally from Melbourne, Australia. I interview successful cloud consultants sharing their scaling stories to give you inspiration and practical tips. I have dedicated experts for cloud consultants on the show to save you time and money by working with the right people. If you want to scale quickly with less effort to enjoy life, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Paul Higgins and welcome to the Cloud Consultant Show, episode number 480. Today's topic is growing a Salesforce partner business through live events. And you're going to learn firstly how to pick the verticals that you should play in and most importantly, how to match them where they're at. The second is breakfast events. So soup to nuts on breakfast events. Uh, Vincent does a brilliant job on that. And the third one is why investing funds up front is the right decision to help you grow your partnership. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you love what you hear, please subscribe. It's for cloud consultants. So if you consult and deploy on a cloud or a SaaS platform, you're in the right space. If you're a regular, thanks for your support. I love receiving those emails at paul at paulhigginsmentoring.com saying that you are a listener and the topics that you'd love to hear. You can get a full summary of the episode in whatever you're listening or watching at the moment. And you can also get the full transcript at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. And before we go on our interview with Vincent, I'd like to thank two sponsors. The first is the Cloud Consultants Collective. It's the world's only revenue-focused cloud collective and it's effectively peers helping peers, right? So I guarantee that you're going to get an answer quicker than if you go to Google or YouTube. And why don't you try me out and test it? So go to the cloudconsultantscollective.com and as Vincent's got a great plug in the podcast as to why you should rely on peers. And then other one is the Workflow Academy. Are your top performers feeling overwhelmed by their workload? Do you worry about their performance? And if it suffers so much that they may actually leave you. We have an innovative solution that can help. We partner with Workflow Academy to provide you with high trained junior talent to support your top tier talent so that everything stays on track. To learn more about this game-changing solution, just visit paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash WFA. The links will be in the show notes. So our guest today is Vincent Mott. He spent most of his time working for management teams to bring their strategy to life through technology. His reputation as someone who gets the job done has seen him take on game-changing projects across M&A, mergers and acquisition, operations, marketing, and of course, technology and innovation. And as a director of the Sydney Australia-based consultancy Carnet Group. He also is driven to build a team fulfilled with passion, switched on people who are encouraged to challenge conventional thinking of what it means to be professional. His objective is to help clients make confident investment decisions in technology and innovation and then partner with them to make it happen. It's my pleasure to now hand you over to Vincent Mott from CarnetGroup.com, episode 480. Great to have you here, Vincent. Hey, great to be here. It's always good to have a French-born and speaking Australian on the podcast. I don't think I've had many of those, so uh, well done. You're probably the first. 
But uh, why don't we kick off with who your ideal clients are and what problems you love to solve for them? Yeah, so we have specialized in specific industries. So first of all, ideal clients come from this industry. So for us, it's construction, property, manufacturing, and, and consumer goods typically. The, the way we'd like to say it is ideal clients, they either build an asset or service an asset or they manufacture a product and move that product around. So that's probably the starting point. And then, of course, there's a size of client that works better for us. So we're targeting the high end of SMB, so major business. We're targeting mid-market GB and enterprise. So typically, we look at clients who are already a little bit sophisticated, already have some understanding of technology uh, strategy and implementation as well. Yeah, great. And they've normally got deep pockets, but sometimes hard to get into pockets. Oh, look, I, I wouldn't say that all our customers have deep pockets. We also work with customers with DORT and, and you do have to maximize the investment carefully. So, you know, we, we do work quite a bit in SMB where, you know, we, you know, we might do a $20,000 implementation and, you know, have to deliver as much value as possible within that amount of money as well. Yeah, well, if we take construction and property for the moment, now what are some of the key problems you're helping to solve there? So there's probably two aspects. So property and construction are a little bit different to some extent. So in construction, we work with, you know, head contractors typically or subcontractors, civil construction businesses. And the problems can be as simple as, you know, we need to be able to track attenders, which is the typical entry point of Salesforce, but we go way beyond that. So some of our customers manage plant and equipment using Salesforce, they manage safety, they manage contract administration, timesheets, they subcontract on boarding and all sorts of things that you wouldn't think Salesforce could do. So that's the sort of things that construction businesses can do. In property, it's a little bit different. It's the typical things of, are you selling a home? Are you selling an apartment? Are you a land developer? Are you a shopping center developer and do you need to run a shopping center? Do you build to rent or build to sell? So there's lots of problematics, but they typically all revolve around one thing. It's the customer experience. So going from I'm inquiring and I'm trying to search a little bit of information about what you're selling or a house that you sell or a package to I'm getting the keys of that house essentially. So it's trying to streamline that entire customer experience to manage the workflows internally and to have one source of truth to consume information in a business. So whether you're a home builder or land developer or a high-rise builder, the overall objective is always the same. Yeah, and you've talked about the fact that, you know, you want your clients to have some form of physical product, right? That's important. Why in particular have you chosen both construction and property as uh, verticals to focus on? Yeah, good question. We don't choose. <laughs> sort of, you, you come from those industries and therefore it makes sense. And I'll tell you the story. So. I used to work for a large ASX business that was working across manufacturing and construction. And I used to have Salesforce in my list of products that I was managing or projects that I was managing. So that was back in 2012 and 2013. That's the first time I touched Salesforce. So on the end user side, and I always thought, you know, I'll come back to that product because there's a lot more potential than just sales effectiveness and a bit of marketing. So coming from those industries, that meant that when I founded Kana Group, I wanted to be laser focused on industries that I knew well. So we could actually go to those customers, not as a technical partner, because quite frankly, every partner that you've interviewed could do exactly the same thing. We're not better. We're not worse. We're just the same. But being a technical partner is not a great value proposition. So our value proposition is we come from these industries, we've recruited people from those industries. We come to our clients and we actually help them because we understand this industry. So we're not there trying to push Salesforce everywhere. 
We're just there to make sure that their business is better off with technology and Salesforce being one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. And within those industries, who's your biggest competitors? Who are you coming up against from either other platforms or not platforms? So I guess from a partner ecosystem, we're pretty lucky because they're not the industries of choice for most partners. So if you're a partner, you want to grow quickly, you're going to tap into government, you're going to tap into finance, you're going to tap into those industries or perhaps education or this sort of industries, construction and property. No one wants to do it, I feel, because it, it's hard. That's as simple as that. It is difficult. They are industries they're known for, you know, low pricing and, you know, the low price is the one that wins and this sort of thing. So you really have to handle this industry differently. So from a partner perspective, that essentially means that, yes, we do compete sometimes, but we rarely lose in those sectors. It's really rare for us to lose. Or if we lose, that would be just purely for pricing. And, and that's probably better if we don't do that project, essentially. And just for those who missed the intro, you might be coming in a little later that Vincent is working under the Salesforce ecosystem, right? So uh, when you're talking about partners, you're talking about other partners within the Salesforce right. ecosystem. Yeah. And as far as any other, you know, do you come up against, you know, like, um, I don't know, you know, other platforms like Zoho or HubSpot or, or, or yeah. anyone else in this, in this place? Look, Maybe, you know, NetSuite could be another one? Yeah, look, no different to any other industries, quite frankly. So for us, we compete against Microsoft Dynamics very often. That's a pretty logical compete essentially because they're a platform player as well. In the marketing space, yes, we are competing against Adobe or we are competing against uh, HubSpot and that's fine. Probably in the RP space, not so much. So, you know, like if you think about a NetSuite, they, they don't really play that strongly in that CRM space anymore. So they're very strong in their ERP backend and this sort of thing. So we have a lot of customers who do have NetSuite and Salesforce and that usually is actually a good combo, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree, I agree. I, I still haven't met too many people that say I love NetSuite sales or marketing tools. Um, you know, if yeah, you're out there, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's shit. Well, anyway, my group should have stuck to what it's, it's best at, but that's that's not always the case. Your investors don't always want that or the uh, public um, investing in your company. And so when did you actually start the Carnac Group? So Carnac Group was founded in 2017. That's when we became a Salesforce partner and we actively started to trade in 2018, essentially. So it took us a few months to put everything together. And uh, yeah, we really started actively in the ecosystem in, in 2018. Right. And I think now what you've got about 30 in the team? Yeah, 30 people. So it started with just three and now 30. Yeah, great. So we'll sort of you know, go through that journey. But I suppose when you first started, you know, like, uh, like you said, you've used the product within company, within corporate. You know, you saw the full value of it. You decided to go out and start your own. Where did you get your first clients? Like, what was the, your first path? I know the industry, you, you you know, you chose the industry, but how did you actually get your first clients? Yeah, so actually the first clients that we got were actually organic. Like, so so we found them ourselves. We didn't rely on Salesforce at all at the beginning, quite frankly. And so you, we obviously had a network. We knew a lot of people in the market and who were looking for partners or change partners at the time anyway. So we managed to get quite a few contracts that were at the beginning without actually understanding yet the Salesforce machine and how to interact with that machine. Yes. So yeah, we got quite a few, like I would say SMB customers at the time, maybe a few larger ones as well. We got an enterprise customer in the first year that helped us to grow pretty quickly, but at the beginning it was 100% organic essentially. Right. And who was wearing the sales hat? 
So we only three in the business and we had essentially sales, which was me. We had a marketing person as well. So we spent quite a bit of, um, we had a, a strong focus on marketing as well. And we had one technical architect. That's all we had. Right. And the marketing, what were the type of things that worked in the early days from a marketing point of view? Uh, communicating about, you know, what we were doing, the work we were doing, the, you know, the success with our customers. That was the key thing at the beginning. Positioning our capability as well, making sure that our capability statement was really clear, that we had a good story to tell, essentially. So the marketing was really focusing around that at the beginning. And today, you know, I, I look at Kana Group and, you know, we're 30 people, but from a brand perspective and, and an overall recognition in the market, we recognize, you know, probably one of the top partners in that space. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, look, I've said to you, who, if you're a regular uh, listener, that, you know, picking a vertical is, is the right thing to do. I know that, you know, Vincent's got three, but you can tell, you know, he's got knowledge, domain knowledge from that industry. It just makes such a difference. And, you know, was there any particular channels that you marketed on? Was it, you know, website, SEO, LinkedIn, a combination of all of those? Where, where were you actually putting this, this material out to? Oh uh, yeah, probably nothing online, quite frankly. I mean, you have to think that those industries, especially construction, property and manufacturing, they're pretty much face-to-face industries. So, you know, you need to meet people, you need to shake hands. So a lot of our work in terms of go-to-market was actually meeting with companies directly, attending exhibitions like, you know, Sydney Build Expo, for example, in the construction industry or the manufacturing expo in manufacturing. So being visible in that sort of space, the online presence was almost irrelevant to us, quite frankly. And then probably at the back of 2018, we started to understand how the Salesforce machine was working. So we spent a lot more time engaging with AEs and the sales directors there to make sure that they understood what we were doing, when to engage us and when not to engage us as well. Yeah, well, perfect segue into that, right? I suppose take us to what you first started doing and is there any difference in the way that you're actually working with Salesforce? Because I think what roughly about 60% of your lead source is through Salesforce? Yeah, 60 to 70%, depending on the period. So yes, the way we started is quite different to the way we operate now, because we started really working through our networks and, you know, identifying opportunities in, in our own network. And, and that takes you, you know, quite far. And I think from a Salesforce perspective, that's the right thing to do as well, to identify your own opportunities. And then in 2018, we started to work a lot more closely with Salesforce, especially around those industries that we had. Probably for one key reason is that Salesforce didn't really understand those industries either. So Salesforce was focusing on, you know, the big retail and, you know, the finance and the government, and we were focusing on industries that they had no point of view on. So to some extent, we could develop a point of view, present a point of view and go to those AEs saying, look, this is how those industries work. This is what we can do. This is what we can't do. So essentially we helped them to develop a bit of a talk track for their prospects and their white space. So we helped them really early on. We even helped some BDR as well to develop a bit of a, uh, like a communication plan and, you know, specific bullet points that they could talk to in this industry. So that really helped to be visible at that stage. And I think the main difference is we were not going to Salesforce saying, give us some lead, which is a big mistake. Uh, we were going to Salesforce saying, this is what we can offer to you and help you with as a starting point. Then the leads may or may not come to us. Uh, that, that's a different story. But we went there with the, trying to bring value straight away to the AEs as opposed to just asking them, what's your batch? Yeah, yeah. I think that's so important. And, you know, it's hard because you want growth in your business. You really, and if you're the owner like Vincent is, you're really keen to get those those sales and see the revenue growth. But yeah, don't 
burn your bridges too early. And I think you're yeah, right. Exactly. Like if 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 you can uh, add value and be different, like you know, there's so many of you Salesforce partners. I don't even know how many totally there is in the world, but you know, yeah, just don't be like everyone else, which is why Vincent's grown quickly from 2017 or 18 to to now with 30 people. So um, so that's that's worked well. Has there been any other? So on the you know, let's call it the 30 percent. Is there any other marketing activities you do or any other sales activities you do that are helping bring in leads? Yeah, look, we run a lot of events these days and and that's typically a preferred channel to create leads and nurture prospects as well. So, you know, we attend exhibition a lot. Um, so we're visible in all those markets. We organize a lot of workshops. We have a lot of our customers speaking at breakfast, for example, in Brisbane and, and Sydney. So we try to be visible to make sure that AIS can bring their prospects as well so they hear the stories of our customers. So that's probably our major focus in terms of marketing these days. We spend a lot of time publishing case studies, doing videos as well for showing the success of some of our customers as well. So we probably, our marketing as, as, is a lot broader these days because we do internal marketing at Salesforce. We do external marketing, which is case studies videos and all these sort of things. We do marketing with our existing customers, with our existing prospects. We do events as well. So it's pretty broad. The only thing that we don't do much is social media. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And and just touching on the events and especially the breakfast, right? Just take us through. I'm sure you've tested different formats of what works well and what doesn't. You know, what what's your format? Let us in on a bit of a secret as to how you've got them working now and what works well from a breakfast point of view. We've tried quite a lot of things, quite frankly. <laughs> But the, the format that's probably the stickiest and the most valuable for prospect and people attending in general is when you've got one key customer who can actually talk through their journey. Yeah. And and not in the polished way or marketing way or, you know, the beautiful story where everything's beautiful. It's actually being really truthful and transparent about the journey. So typically starting with that, a customer telling their story is actually really good and what worked, what didn't work. Uh, how did they approach something? How, you know, how much money did they spend? You know, all these sort of things are really important. And then typically what we do when we organize those breakfasts is we might do a presentation around how can you be successful rolling out Salesforce? So how should you support Salesforce? Or what are the traps of projects? Uh, you know, how do you conduct change management? So we pick specific topics that Salesforce typically will not talk about too much. Uh, Salesforce will talk a lot about the products and the amazing things you can do. That's great. We talk about how to actually do it, how to implement it. Yeah. And, and how many people would attend a breakfast? Like what, what's a good turnout for you? Yeah. Look, we try to keep them small. So typically 2025 is what we want. We want a small audience. We want people to network and to talk to each other. That's really the overall idea. So yeah, small audience for us is always preferred. Yeah. And, and I know you're in one of the best cities in the world, Sydney, Australia, and uh, but it doesn't matter. Everyone's clock's the same at some point. So, you know, what times work best for you? Is it, you know, seven in the morning? Is it nine? Like what, what sort of times? Yeah. So again, it depends on cities. So Brisbane is typically a bit earlier. Sydney is a, an 8.30 is fine. Works well. Melbourne is probably the same an 8.30 as well. So it depends on cities. Some of the year, it's always hard to tell, but you know, not November, December, that's usually too late. So anywhere between March and, and October seems to work reasonably well. Right. And uh, how long do they typically go for? Oh, an hour and a half, actually. Yeah, yeah, right. And what sort of the follow-up sequence post the meeting? It's a, it's a good question. And it really depends on who is attending. So often we're going to have a crowd that's made of existing customers. And if it's an existing customer, we're probably not going to follow up. 
um, because they're, they're not there to, you know, because there's a new opportunity or anything like this. They're actually just interested to understand what other people are doing. And it's good networking. They meet with other customers and other prospects. So no follow-up for those ones typically. Maybe just a, a survey to ask them, you know, have it went and did they like it? And then there's a list of typically prospects. Some of them are in our pipeline already. So we leave, you know, the salesperson to continue the journey <laughs> with the opportunity. And then there's, you know, what we call planting the seed. And they're the, the long-term prospects, you know, the prospect that it's going to take you two years to convert them potentially, but you still invite them to this event. You still have discussions regularly and all that, but you don't force a sales cycle on them because it's not the right time. We've had quite a lot of our large projects that we've signed where the prospect came to, uh, you know, the first breakfast and the second one, then the third one, and it took two years and then they become $1 million projects. So it does happen. And it's certainly our strategy is to plant the seeds and, you know, to not bombard them with a sales process because Salesforce does it already. So they don't need us to do that. And are you videoing the, the clients when they speak? No. No. Okay. No, and is, no, is that for a particular reason? Uh, it's either you come or you don't know about it. So you have to come face to face. Otherwise, you know, otherwise people will just stay behind the screen then. Yeah, right. And the frequency, like how often a year are you running these breakfasts? I wish I could do, do it every three weeks or something like that. But the, the, the reality is we have to be really careful because Salesforce is also running a lot of events. So we want to make sure our events are not happening at the same time. Yes. Look, typically one every month or two months is the ideal timing, but there's always time of the year where it's difficult. So February is very often a write-off. April is a write-off because of Easter. So, you know, there's a lot of reason why it's difficult to maintain that cadence. Yes. Uh, but yeah, once every two months is probably, is probably about right. And during COVID, did they not happen or did you do them virtually? What was sort of happened during COVID? Yeah. So during COVID, we actually moved some of those sessions uh, online. Mm-hmm. And we did two formats. We did a format that was more the webinar-like format where we were showcasing uh, specific use cases or how Salesforce could be used to you know, do one specific thing. And that worked okay at the beginning of COVID. I think there were the novelty of you know, logging into a webinar and learning something and that was all fine. And we found that after six months, it sort of died down and the webinar attendance was pretty low overall. So we sort of stopped it and said, look, there's, there's no point putting all that effort for 15 people to turn up on the webinar. Didn't make sense. So we stopped that. We turned to interviews where we did a lot of customer testimonials instead, a bit like what we're doing today. Yeah. Um, where we had our customers, you know, do, doing a bit of an interview with us and, you know, for half an hour. And we were publishing that online. That's been reasonably successful as well. Really good for the Salesforce folks as well to be able to listen to this interview. So that, that's, we've done a little bit of that. We don't do it anymore as much, quite frankly, <laughs> but that's the sort of things we tried doing um, during COVID. Yeah. And, and the reason you don't do it, is it just because of the busyness of business or just uh, you don't think it was working? Look, you can't do everything. That's how we look at it. And for the industry that we work in, the face-to-face is the way to go. Yes. Uh, you want to see people in the eye. You want to be able to you know, shake hands. You want to be able to introduce them to other customers and other prospects. So for us, you know, if you think you've got a, a limited budget for marketing and a limited bandwidth to get things done, then we would privilege the face-to-face first. Yeah. And I think it's really smart. Like, hey, you've you know, identified, given your industry knowledge, et cetera, which verticals to play them with, which I think is really smart. And then B, it's where those people, well, how they like to communicate and work. Right. Yeah. So you're matching them where they're at, which once again, you know, if if you're 
listening to Vincent, you know, your client might be completely different. So in-person events may not work for you. It might be something else. It might be live webinars or whatever, especially if you're in the US where, you know, there's a lot of dispersity of where people are. It's it's harder to get people together. So just, you know, match them where they're at is I think the, the key thing out of this. If we sort of pivot a little, we've spoken a lot about the sales and marketing effort, which has gone really well. What about the team size, right? You now got to, to 30 people, which is fantastic. What's been the hardest role to hire or hardest person to bring on so far? Hmm. Um, yeah, th- that's a good question. I don't actually have a good answer for that because I- I'm not too sure. I mean, we, we struggle, of-, of course, like everyone else during the COVID period to just attract people and, and to retain people like a- every business, quite frankly. Yes. Um, we-, we haven't found specific roles that were harder to recruit for. It, it was all okay. It was just about setting expectations in terms of salary range and why people would move to a smaller business like ours. For the, so that was more our story to sell that we found um, was the challenge at the beginning. But no, yeah, no specific role. We've always found, you know, whether it was a developer, whether it's a functional consultant, whether it is a, an architect, we've always been able to find the right people for our business. And, you know, it was a rough, rough week. Now, where do you spend your time? If you had to sort of, you know, put it across, whether it's by functions or by activities, you as the the owner of this thirty person business, where are you spending your time? Uh, look, most of my time would be spent in the market. So, probably sixty percent of my time is in market. So, talking to customers, attending workshops, and talking to Salesforce A's, and talking to you know different people at Salesforce, of course, and attending events. So, yeah. But yeah, probably 60% of my time is on that. And then probably 20% is on delivery and uh, making sure that, you know, projects are going the right way and that if there's any problem or, or something to, to resolve that I can resolve it. So maybe 20% of my time is spent on that and the 20% would be on admin and finance and forecasting and pipeline and <laughs> this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's sort of bringing back a bit of my past, but, you know, do you have an assistant? Do you have a, anyone supporting you in your role or out of those 30, how does that sort of get structured? Yeah, no. So we we build a team that's reasonably with with strong people. So we've got some strong leaders in in the business, uh, in delivery. We've got, you know, a great national engagement director. We've got a a great project service director. We've got a great technical services director who's also a co-founder of Karnak as well. So we've got a strong management structure in delivery that allows me to focus on different things and, and they let me know when they need me. So I don't have any uh, assistant or anything like this. You know, everyone is just taking some of my workload to some extent and, and that's about all. Yeah, great. All right. Well, what we're going to do now is is go into the rapid fire where we'll finish off with four key questions. You're going to give me rapid fire answers. You ready for that? Yep. Let's do it. So the first one is for you. You've sort of talked a bit about where you spend your time, but what are some of the daily habits that you do to help you scale Carnet Group? Uh, the first thing is the two minutes rule that I use all the time. And that's if something takes less than two minutes, do it now. That's what I do every day or trying to do every day that avoid procrastination quite a bit, in fact. So that's probably my main rule. And the second thing is always challenge what you're doing now. Yep. Brilliant. And the next is where do you find out more information around how you grow your Salesforce business? Uh, talking to other partners, quite frankly, that's the best source of information is you talk to other partners who went through that cycle before you and it's sometimes they're competitors, sometimes they're not, but it doesn't really matter. 
I found that's the best source of information, quite frankly. Yeah. And how do you reach out to them? Like, or where are you finding these other partners? Oh, look, you, you, Salesforce is very good at organizing a lot of partner forums and partner events and all this sort of thing. So, you know, we, we probably see each other every quarter, uh, all the different partners every quarter. So it's, it's actually quite easy. Yeah, great. And a, and a shameless plug, if you want to see or meet partners more regularly than that, just go to the cloudconsultantscollective.com because we've got lots of Salesforce partners in there that can work with and help you uh, at any point, peers helping peers. So the next one is, if I could grant you one wish for the Carnac Group, what would that be? Uh, I think that would be uh, unlimited money to develop the business, you know, so like growth in new regions like New Zealand and, you know, WA and going to the US and going to Europe. So ex- expanding the brand everywhere else as quickly as we can. That's what I would want to do. Yeah, great. Well, there's definitely uh, lots of uh, the three classes or the three verticals you focus on everywhere in the world. So um, if you're uh, in that those verticals and you're listening and you think, ah, oh, actually I could, uh, you know, work both in uh, different geographies with Vincent, uh, reach out to him. The last one is what you know now, right? So you've been in, you know, 2018, you started. Now it's 2023, if you're uh, listening uh, to it when it's released. What have you learned and what do you know that you would have done probably different or would have done differently for sure that you already know now? Yeah, look, the first thing is we would have invested more funds in the business on day one. We've created the business with $5,000, that's all. And we've never injected any money whatsoever in that business. It's just been self-funded. And realistically, you're limited by that uh, pretty quickly. So I think bringing other investors or bringing more money in the business would have fast-tracked that growth. You know, we would be much bigger today for, for sure. That's probably the first thing. So, you know, creating a partner in a business with a limited fund is difficult. It's a real challenge and all you've got is your energy essentially. And probably the second thing would have been to really fast track our understanding of the Salesforce ecosystem, of the relationship between partners and account executives and, you know, partners and directors and VPs at Salesforce. We spend quite a bit of time not really interacting with Salesforce at the beginning. So... To some extent, we've probably wasted a year at the beginning, not really understanding how it all worked. And that's probably because I was just a newbie in that world. I was coming from an end user background, another consulting background. I've never done sales before either. So that's, I think I would have done yeah, a better, better job at interacting with Salesforce, probably recruited uh, strong salespeople on day one, you know, faster as well. Like the, yeah, this type of things. Yeah, great. Well, look, you've still done a brilliant job in the time period that you've had, you know, the sort of circa five years it's uh you've done a great effort and we're listening to uh vincent mott brilliant having you on vincent well done for what you've created and as i said you're my first uh, french-born french-speaking sydney salesforce partner on the show so um congratulations for that thanks for having me paul all right brilliant thanks what a great interview with vincent i love these two minute rule i once learned that when I was at Coca-Cola. I think it's such a fantastic thing. So go and apply it. If you can do it within two minutes, do it. Don't keep adding to your to-do list. Also, I love the fact that he's got a great combination of 70% Salesforce. So he really leverages the Salesforce ecosystem to NAEs to get leads, but he's also got his own, especially in those events as well. If you want to know more detail of that, uh, reach out to Vincent on LinkedIn. And also, you know, if you've learned something really valuable, please post it on LinkedIn and at mention of Vincent. And if you've got some peers, as Vincent said, they're so valuable. If you've got some peers that can learn from this or have 
talked about this running live events etc and they can benefit from it please share it with them they'll think you're a rock star don't forget to check out our solo shows also if you're scaling your cloud consulting business and want a great book on the things that you should be doing right you may be doing all of them but who knows why not go check it out at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash blueprint and get your free copy today and please take action to grow with less effort and more reward learning is just one piece of the puzzle it is now time for action head to today's show page at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast get the links and put it into action head to your favorite podcast platform subscribe rate and review the show suggest topics for me to cover at paul at paulhigginsmentoring.com And don't wait one more minute to gain access to content, especially for you, a cloud consultant, at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash newsletter. This could be the difference between wasting time figuring it out yourself or scaling quickly with less effort to enjoy life.